Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And if you need a Bible this morning, you can just wave at one of our ushers. Maybe you've forgotten yours, uh, left it at home or in the car. And once you have a Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 1. And, um, of course, the ushers have their hands full right now, but... I'm going to ask him to do something else for me, too. If you didn't get one of these little slips of paper that have Bible verses written on it when you came in, you might wave at them as well so that you could get one of those. It looks kind of like this, just a slip of paper. There's nothing fancy about it. Last night, what really started Friday night, the Lord began stirring some things in my heart. And, um, and so last night I was kind of putting things together late, and rather than text Nina and say, hey, I got a bunch of scripture I want you to add at the last minute. I just put it on a piece of paper and hand to you. Plus, this way, it's already written down. You can take it home with you. You can look through some of these things and, and read through these passages as well. We're going to take a, a kind of a, a little detour this week from Sermon on the Mount. We'll get back to it. But this week, about three weeks ago, the Lord began stirring in my heart saying, I want you to go a different direction on June 4th. Today is Pentecost. It's the celebration of Pentecost. And the Lord has really been stirring in my heart, and I want to share with you and and kind of take a journey with you. Now, I also recognize, and and I would say even for me at times in the past, this isn't necessarily one of those holidays I would focus very much on. And one of the reasons is because at times, many times in the Church of Jesus Christ and among believers, this has been a contentious passage of scripture and the events that took place and what it means and what it means for us today. And it can create some disagreement, some argument among the body of Christ. That's not where we're going today. All right. No arguing. We're going to look at the things that the scripture clearly says and that we should be agreeing on and walking in. So I want you to take that journey with me. All right. Acts chapter one, we're going to begin in verse eight. And and verse 8 is that verse that is so familiar. Jesus is speaking to his apostles, his disciples, to those gathered just before he leaves. And he says, but you will receive power. Don't forget that word. We're going to focus on that a lot this morning. You will receive power. The Greek word is dunamis. We get dynamite from it. It's power. It's visible, tangible, experiential You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This isn't the first time that Jesus has said this. We know this verse because it gets quoted a lot. A few verses before that, Jesus said that while you're in Jerusalem and you're waiting there, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to come upon you and and he will there will be power. When he comes, the evidence of this, there will be power. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says that, I want you to go and tarry and wait until you are clothed with power. The Holy Spirit comes, you'll be clothed with power. Dunamis, dynamite, power. Now look with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... Now, Jesus rose from the grave, and he was here on earth and walking with his disciples and talking to them and spending time with them for how many days? Do you remember? Forty days, right? Forty days that he was here walking with them. And then 
Pentecost comes. Penta, penti, is the Greek word for 50. Because Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. So seven weeks would pass, 49 days, and then the day after, which would tend to be a Sunday, the 50th day would be Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration of the harvest. It was the beginning of harvest. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you read through Pentecost um, and what took place there, it's also, if you look in Scripture, sometimes the Old Testament, if you go back and read about it, it's sometimes called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after Passover. But if you go back and you look at it, you begin to, there's a certain things that they went and did. They did. They took a, a, re, um, a sheath of barley and they would hold it up and it was, there was, there was, there was a practice, there was a ceremony, if you will, that they went through in celebrating Passover. I mean, excuse me, Pentecost. The feast, the beginning of the harvest. They were celebrating and there was a rejoicing in the beginning of the harvest. Now, there would be another celebration at the end of harvest. But this was, this was God moving in a certain way and beginning to provide a harvest for them. This is Pentecost. When it arrived, they were all together in one place. Who is all together in one place? Well, Scripture tells us a little bit later on, the 120. Apostles, disciples, and, and the early believers, there were 120 of them gathered. They were gathered together in one place. Why? Because Jesus told them. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Forty days after he left, he told them this. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So how many days are they waiting? About 10 days, right? 40 plus 10 equals 50. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. Make sure you notice that. Some people will say there was a mighty rushing wind. I'm telling you their hair did not get messed up that day. All right? There wasn't a mighty rushing wind. There was a sound. We would say it sounded like a freight train. It sounded like a hurricane. It was loud. It was unexpected. It was unusual. So much so that we're going to see a little bit later in this passage. That's why everybody gathered around and was able to hear them speaking because they heard the sound. The sound got their attention. It was like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were. It goes on. It says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The picture here in the Greek is it's like it was this flame of fire, this tongue of fire, flame of fire, and, it, and as it descended, it separated over each one of them, like a little flame, a little flicker, a little tongue of fire over them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting because in, earlier in Acts 1, it says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, it says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here it says they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts 4, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it seems like there is an exchange of terms here. That they're using different terms, but talking about the same event there. But I would say this to you. I believe, just personally, that there is the ongoing sanctifying, filling work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This is what Ephesians 5 talks about. This ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, this filling that needs to take place. I think we'd all be in agreement that Scripture says that we should keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't we all agree on that? All right. Then there's this term that Jesus said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this has created so much controversy at times in the body of Christ. What does this mean? And 
And those say, no, we're filled at conversion. And you are. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we are converted, when we are born again. His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. He comes in. He abides there with me. I want to tell you what else I believe. Just in looking at Scripture, there is this ongoing filling work of the Holy Spirit, but there are also seasons and times where the Spirit does extraordinary work in our life. I believe for the purpose of ministry, for service. That's what he was doing here. You say, well, no, they were getting the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I find that hard to believe because at the end of John, in John chapter 20, it says that when Jesus came back after his resurrection and he appeared to them, he looked at them, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They were already believers. They'd already received the Holy Spirit. Whatever took place here, it seems to me, according to Scripture, was something that God was doing. But he uses the term here, filled. You say, well, maybe that's like Ephesians 5. Can I be honest with you? I don't understand all the dynamic of this. And so I try not to get caught in the minutia of all of it. I want God to show me the main point. And that's what I'm going to do this morning with you. I'm going to keep going back to that. Because I realize even in this room, we have different beliefs about all that's taking place here and what it means. What I want to focus on is what the Scripture clearly says. And, the, uh, and I, at times I'll tell you when it's something I believe... And I believe there is a distinct difference between the, the everyday sanctifying filling of the Holy Spirit and the special work, baptism, anointing, whatever you will call it. I believe they're two different things. You may disagree with that, and that's okay. We can still love each other and be in Jesus, all right, and disagree on those things. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that the Spirit is always the one in control. If you want to take the word filling baptism, whatever you want to call it, it means this, the Holy Spirit is in control. He has control of our lives. We're, we're surrendering and yielding control to that. And he goes on, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Because Pentecost was one of three feasts that required Jewish men to travel back to Jerusalem. Wherever they were, they needed to, to travel back there. So like Passover, Pentecost was one of, those, one of those feasts. So there were men from all, and I'm sure women and children too, but there were people from all over the world who, who were Jews who were back in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They're from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? The sound of a mighty rushing wind. It sounded like freight train. At that sound, people began to go, like we were, what was that? You know, the other night at our house, there was some loud sound outside, popping sort of thing. I said, I think it's fireworks. Hopefully it's not gunfire. But Lori, she's going, she's going to peek and see. It's like, well, I hope it's fireworks and not gunfire, all right? But the sound makes us want to go see. What is this? It happened there the same way. They heard the sound. I was like, what is that? Let's go see. So at the sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Someone asked me yesterday, was the miracle here that they spoke with other languages they didn't know or that people heard the language? Um, they, they, they heard it. I said, the scripture seems to say both. They spoke with languages they didn't know and people heard in their own language. He goes on. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who speak Galileans? Basically, what they were saying, aren't these folks all from Mississippi? <laughs> like me? Aren't these all rednecks and hillbillies? They're not, you know, there's not a high educational mark here among the Galileans. 
All right? They haven't been to great schools of theology. They haven't been taught. They're not learned men or women because they were all speaking. It says that each of them was speaking. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? We can hear our language, and there's no explainable reason why they know the language that I speak because they're Galileans. Parthians and Medes, he's going to start listing. I'm going to go through this very quickly. There's 16. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Pergam and Philia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to the Cretans and whatever, whatever's next there. We do the next one. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, here's what was happening. See, I asked this question as I was going through it. What were they saying if they were speaking this language that everybody understood? It tells you what they were saying. They were declaring the mighty works of God. They were worshiping. That's what they were doing. They were worshiping. They were just doing it in a language they didn't know. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, now this is important, you need to, it is my belief, and I believe scripture bears it out here, that when the Spirit of God is doing extraordinary things, we tend to have one of two responses. One is good, one is not. What does this mean? That's a good one. What does this mean? What's happening here? God, what are you doing? I want to understand. I want to, I want to be open enough to say, God, what is this? What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're all filled with new wine. The only explanation for this kind of joy this kind of exuberance, this kind of display at nine o'clock in the morning, they must be drunk. They must be drunk. I'm telling you folks that generally, and we have to guard in our own heart because generally when God begins to do what we cannot explain, we will do one of two things. We will either ask the question, Lord, what are you up to? Is this of you? We'll test it. Don't believe everything that people say is of God. Don't. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive that way. Be the Bereans. Say, look at the scripture and see if these, these things be so. All right? But don't go in with a heart that automatically says, oh, they're just drunk with new wine. They're just carrying on. They're full of themselves. This isn't of God. This is a fiasco. This isn't the way we've done it. If you look in the New Testament, you will find that those who thought themselves religious often missed God because they were too busy mocking. Now, that's the story of Pentecost. Now, Peter's going to go on from this point, and he's going to preach. And I'm not going to go there with you, and I'm not going to talk about tongues this morning, okay? Even though it's a part of this, I don't think it's the main point of what's taking place here. The main point of what's taking place here is that God is doing a supernatural work to bring about harvest because Pentecost is the feast of harvest. He's harvesting. And when he finishes preaching, when Peter finishes preaching, 3,000 souls are going to be saved. Not because Peter was a great preacher, because the Spirit of God was doing something supernatural. What I want to focus on this morning is what the Scripture is very clear about. Because I believe tongues, and I believe in tongues, by the way. I believe tongues are for today. You may not. That's okay. Again, that's one of those things we can disagree on. 
I believe that. But I don't believe that's the primary focus of Acts chapter 2 is tongues. We've often made it that way. As a matter of fact, we think Pentecost, Pentecostal tongues. That's, where, that's kind of the progression we go in. All right? But that's not the whole point here. That's the discussion. That's a message for another day. What is the point here today? The point is power. That's the point. Power. You see, if you come from the tradition that I come from, and the background, the religious background that I come from, we pride ourselves in our study of doctrine, in our intellectual pursuit of truth. And it's important, and I do not minimize, I am grateful for my background in that. It's just not complete. It's not complete. And if you come from that same background and that offends you, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's not complete. Because if you go through the scripture, and we're going to do it this morning, we're going to go through it. The New Testament over and over again says it is not in word only, but in power. It is both. That it isn't just an intellectual. You know, here's part of the problem that I think we have as American Christians. We've been told, rightly so, that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been saved, we have been converted, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. So by implication, I'm a believer, I have the Holy Spirit. That's an intellectual understanding, and that's fine. But if you read through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life was not intellectual. It was experiential. There was power on display. He demonstrated that he did things that you and I could not do. You say, well, are you talking about tongues again? No. I mean, yes, but no. Tongues was one thing. That's the reason I gave you this little handout. And I did not give you all the verses. There are 116 verses in the New Testament that use this word dunamis, dynamite. I just picked, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 of them. I want you to look at some of these with me. All right, you got that little sheet? I want you to look at this. And as we're going through this, I want you to ask a very simple question. This is the question that God's been stirring in my heart for the last three weeks. Is this true of me? See, I know that I'm born again. I know that the Spirit indwells me. I know that. I know that on an intellectual basis. I also know it because at times I've seen him do supernatural things. But here's the reality. If I'm not growing in that, if he's not continuing to take me on a journey in that, just me saying that I'm full of the Holy Spirit doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it so. If it did, there would be no distinction in the Scripture. When they went and picked out Stephen, what was the first qualification they looked at it with Stephen? Do you remember? In Acts chapter 7, what was the first qualification? Or 6? When they were picking out, matter of fact, it wasn't just Stephen, it was all the deacons. What was the first qualification? They looked for men full of the Holy Spirit. Well, if they were full of the Holy Spirit, then by implication, you could be saved and not full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Doesn't that stand to reason? If they were looking for believers who were full of the Holy Spirit, then by implication, you can be saved and not be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he says, And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's talking about John the Baptist. All right, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist. Um, or it's actually talking, not a prophecy. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a, a people prepared. Now, Elijah didn't have 
power. We know this because James said he was a man just like you and me. He had weaknesses just like we do. And yet God did supernatural, miraculous things through Elijah. So what is Luke saying here? He's saying the Spirit of God that worked in Elijah is the same Spirit that works in you and me. And what does he do when he works in power? He causes Father's hearts to be changed. He causes those who are disobedient to be open to the wisdom of the just. He makes a people ready, prepared, changes hearts. The power of the Holy Spirit changes hearts. Hearts of fathers, hearts of mothers, hearts of children. The power of the Holy Spirit does that. Now, some of you immediately would be like me. Does that mean that when the Holy Spirit's working in power, that my child's heart's always going to change, or my grandchild's heart's always going to change, or my spouse's heart's always going to change? There is that God has given us the ability that you and I get to make certain choices in this life. But I'm telling you that one of the evidences that the Scripture talks about, the power of the Holy Spirit at work, is that He changes hearts. How many of you have seen Him do something in a heart that you know you didn't do? Something of power greater than you had to change that heart. How many of you have seen that? Absolutely. Does that happen all the time? It hasn't been my experience that it happens all the time. But I'm telling you, I believe it should be happening more than I'm expecting it to happen. Luke 1.35 The angel said to her, to Mary... The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. When the Holy Spirit moves in power, He produces life where there is an expectation of none. He produces life where there is the expectation of none. Whether that's spiritual life or physical life, He does it in both realms. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Sarah believed and she received power to conceive because of the work of the Holy Spirit. By faith, she did this. By the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You say, what, say, what about the Old Testament? The Spirit of God was moving in the Old Testament just like he's moving in the New Testament. The thing that's different now is that he dwells in us. He doesn't go and come. He dwells. He stays. But that doesn't mean that he's filling. It doesn't mean that we're walking in fullness just because he indwells. Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. I love this when we talk about Jesus himself. Jesus went into the wilderness, and it says he came out in the power. It says at the beginning of Luke 4, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It says he came out in the power of the Spirit. Now, what does he do when he comes out? He begins to preach and teach. He goes back to his hometown. He goes to the synagogue. He opens up in four verses later. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of God has appointed me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the, the captives free, the oppressed free, to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the Spirit of the Lord in power working on me, that's what he's doing. That's my purpose, and this is what the power of the Holy Spirit working through me, that's what he's doing. Now, a little bit later in that chapter, chapter 4, he tells them that he can't do great works and a lot of miracles. He can't demonstrate, he can't do all that he wants to because they don't believe. The prophet's without honor in his own country. And they don't like what he has to say. They get mad. They get angry. Look with me down at verse 28. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill. They brought him to the cliff on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. So they get rid of him. They want to kill him. Look at verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. By the power of the Spirit, he passed through those who would do him harm. What does that mean? 
does that always happen that way, Troy? Well, in Hebrews it says some were full of faith and trusting in the Holy Spirit, and God chose for them to die. But I'm telling you that the power of the Holy Spirit work in me allows me to pass through those who want to do me harm and not be harmed. Luke 4.36, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and me gives us authority and power over demons, over demonic forces, over unseen spirits. You say, Troy, I don't like to think about that stuff. Are you talking about exorcist kind of stuff? No, I'm talking about Bible kind of stuff. The devil's real. Demons are real. They just don't have power or authority over you and me. I'm not going to be scared of them. Jesus defeated them. He made a show, according to Colossians 2, he made a show of them openly when he took the ordinance that was against me and he nailed it to his cross and covered it in his blood. He made a show of them. They are defeated. I have authority and power. He demonstrated it when he walked here, but he said, I want you to walk the same way. Luke 6, 19. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. There's power in the Holy Spirit for healing. Healing. Physical healings. Not, not spiritual healings, yes. Healings of the soul, yes. And physical healings. There's power in the Holy Spirit for healing. There is, I believe, an apathy that comes from being an American in some of these things because we feel like we don't need the Holy Spirit to do these things because we've got money and technology and resources that do these things for us. Now, I'm not against doctors. I'm not against medicine. I'm not against any of those things. I'm not. Please hear me. I am not. If you have a headache, I'm not against you taking an aspirin, okay? I'm not. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying that there is often in an American Christian not this first thought that I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be displayed in me. How do you want to do that, Lord? Do you want to do it through a medical means? Do you want to do it through human wisdom that doctors have? And it's not bad wisdom. Most hospitals, most clinics, most things of this nature throughout our history have been founded by churches and, clinic, uh, and churches and, and, and ministries that have founded these things. It's funny when you go through a town and you see Baptist Hospital and Presbyterian Hospital. And they, why? Because it has been on the hearts of God's people to be there for those who are sick, those who are hurting. But I'm telling you, the power resides not in our hospitals, not in our technology, not in our wisdom not in our doctors. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. I believe we should see more healing. I believe God wants to do more of that. I really do. I believe also that often my first thought is, somebody tells me about that, well, what did the doctor say? Again, I'm not sure that's evil necessary. I just think it's not prioritized right. What if my first question was, well, what did the Lord say when you asked him about it? What did he say? Acts 4.33 And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The power of the Holy Spirit allows you to share the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life with great power 
and with great grace. The, the scripture says here, great grace was upon them all. Power and grace going together. I want to ask you a very, not, I, this is not meant to be condemning. I just want you to honestly ask the Lord. Do you feel like that the Holy Spirit's using you, empowering you on a daily basis to share your testimony with power? To share the testimony of who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life with power. I'll be honest, when I ask that question of me, my answer is no. Some days I get really excited because I feel like some days I surrender and I'm obedient, I'm open, I'm listening, and I do. But there are probably more days that I don't. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I want you to see what the Holy Spirit does here, what his power does. He causes you to have joy and peace and believing and he fills you, causes you to abound, literally to jump up and down, just to abound, to overflow with hope. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Do I have unexplainable joy and peace and believing? Am I abounding in hope? This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the anointing, whatever term you want to put on it. But Jesus said this power is, is accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then as we go through the New Testament, here's where that word's used over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This is Paul. He said, I wasn't very fancy in my preaching, but I wanted it to be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Some of your translations say it's not in word, but in power. I like the ESV here, in talk. It's not just me saying words. The kingdom of God isn't just about words. It's power. It's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. 1 Corinthians 12.10 To another, the working of miracles. The word miracles there, this is one of the few verses in here, actually there are only two, where the, that word uh, dunamis is translated something other than power. Here it's translated miracles. So when it says to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. He's talking about the church and the gifts that the Holy Spirit give. But the first one is workings of miracles. Do you know what I was convicted of as I'm going through this scripture? The Holy Spirit wants to work through different ones here, miracles. He wants to work miracles. You say, well, he'll probably do that through you. That's not what it says here. It's the body. It's the church. And not the same ones all the time. That's the other thing. Sometimes we think, oh, the Holy Spirit does something, and then now you become, you're the miracle worker. So now we've labeled them, okay? Dan is now the miracle worker. So every time we say Dan's the miracle worker. And no, the Holy Spirit does as he wills. And if you'll read through this, you'll notice it's not necessarily one time, one gift for all time. He gives as he wills and he chooses at certain times and certain places. Let me ask you something. Within the church, within the body, do you expect that the Lord wants to work through individuals here and by the Holy Spirit and perform miracles? I say yes too, but I really haven't been looking for it. I 
really haven't. I read about it somewhere else. I read about it overseas. I read about it by other believers. And I think, well, man, that's really cool. Wish that was happening here. You will be endued with power, clothed with power. Second Corinthians 8, 3. For they gave according to their means. This is the second verse here that's not translated power. The word means here is the Greek word dunamis. They gave according to their means or their power, their ability, as I can testify, and beyond their ability, beyond their means, of their own accord. Do you know what the power of the Holy Spirit does? It causes you and me to be givers beyond our means, beyond our ability. I tend to give within my ability, not beyond it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you read there in Acts, Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, they did something amazing. They all brought everything they had and kind of put it together and said, hey, let's use this for those who are in need and we're all going to kind of have things in common. And Now again, I'm not saying that that's what we're supposed to do today. I don't know. I am saying this, that the Holy Spirit at work in you and me makes us givers beyond anything we ever imagined. Because that's, who, that's the heart of God. That's who God is. By the way, when I say the Holy Spirit, you realize I'm saying the Holy Spirit who is God. God, the Holy Spirit. It's not like he's distinct in some way. He's God, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.16 That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. You have power within in the deepest place of who you are. This is the work, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Holy Spirit produces in me an endurance and a patience with joy. A patience with joy. It's not, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm getting by. I'm going to make it through. I'm okay. God's good. You know, patience with joy. Not just, I'm getting by. I'm hanging in there. Well, tomorrow will be a new day. Yeah, it will. What about this one? What about the power of the Holy Spirit working me in this day and the next day? Now, that doesn't mean I'm always giddy jumping up and down doing cartwheels. I get that. But joy is something he does in me by the power of his Spirit, no matter what my circumstance is. This is our promise. This is our birthright, people. This is what he said. I want you to be clothed with power that's beyond human understanding and certainly beyond human capability. Because I'll be honest with you, when I don't feel good, I'm not very joyful. And when I'm having to endure, I'm not always joyful. Because I'm just enduring. I'm gritting my teeth. I'm going to do this. I'm going to prove I can do this. I'm not a quitter. I'm going to do this. But everybody around me wishes I would quit because I'm so miserable. Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The power of the Holy Spirit works allows me to endure, it allows me to toil, it allows me to work. It produces grace-driven effort. It isn't just, oh, well, I'll just sit back and see what God does. No, he's prompting and moving, and I'm moving forward, I'm working, I'm toiling, 
Not in my own strength, not in my own wisdom, by the power of his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It's not just word, it's word and power. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. All right. Just true confession time right here. How many of you would say that when it comes to the things of the Lord and spiritual things, that fear is something that hits you on a pretty regular basis? Just wave at me. Okay. That's most of us. The others were afraid to say so. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The power of the Holy Spirit working in me transforms fear because I have not been given a spirit of fear. He does something with this. Not a spirit of fear, but of power and love of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So not only am I not fearful, I'm ready to embrace suffering because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. I'm willing to embrace it. I'm willing to embrace affliction and suffering because the Spirit's at work. I'm telling you, folks, that's supernatural. That's not normal. How do I know it's not normal? Because the thought in my mind when I first wake up and until I go to bed is how can I be comfortable today? Not how I can be afflicted today. How I can embrace suffering. No, I want to be comfortable. You want to be comfortable. That's normal. Everybody understands that. What we don't understand is a powerful work in us to be something other than that. Second Timothy 3, 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. We can talk a Christian game with no demonstration of power. You can go back through and you can look at the verses preceding this and he'll give you a description of what that looks like. He says, be careful. Don't talk it without power. Can I say something here too? Because the enemy will come and convict or come and condemn in something like this. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about power. Is anybody perfect yet? Has the Holy Spirit done a work in you and you're just perfect? I mean, the only one married to a perfect person here is Lori, all right? She's the only one. <laughs> and I remind her of that every day. No, I don't. No, I don't. None of us have arrived. We're not perfect. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about power. Power to come into our non-perfectness and do something that's superhuman. Something that's not normal, ordinary. Revelation 3.8 I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, but yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I love this here 
as he's talking to the church at Philadelphia, one of two churches of the seven that he didn't have something against. And in Philadelphia, he says, you have little power. The word here can mean small in quantity or amount, but it more often means immature, not fully developed, like a child would, have, would be little, all right, because they just haven't developed yet. I think what the Holy Spirit's saying here is you haven't arrived to maturity in this power, but even the little bit that I'm producing in you is something that the Lord loves. He loves it. Notice what he says. He says, I know your works, and behold, I've set before you an open door. He says, I, I, I see what you're doing. I see what, I see what this power, that even a little, is doing, and how you've kept my word. Just a little bit, even in its immature state, keeps me, allows me to keep his word and not deny his name. Power. I want you to do something with me. I want you to bow your heads. And Lori, I'm going to ask you to come play. Let me say this a different way. Are you willing to surrender to the Spirit's control in your life so that He demonstrates His power through you in whatever way He chooses, at whatever time, wherever, with whomever, it is His choosing? What you and I choose in all this is a willingness to surrender, to obey. I don't want power for myself because it isn't about me. It isn't so I can say I have power because you don't see, you don't see the Holy Spirit producing that. We walk around boasting and saying, I got power. It isn't saying I have this or I have that. It's a demonstration. It's something that's clearly seen that we take no credit for, that it is his work in us. And it's for the purpose of harvest. Folks, I believe that more than any time in my life, and probably in yours, that there is a need for harvest and that God is bringing about a harvest. But will we be part of it? He says, I'm going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my martus. It's the Greek word for martyr. You're going to be the ones who go and you share what you've seen and heard and what you've experienced. And you're going to do it because I'm at work supernaturally in you, even to the point of death, even if it costs you your life. I'm going to do that kind of work in you. You cannot do this Christian life in your own strength. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot be his witness, his martus, in your own strength. He says, you must be clothed with power. You must be filled. You must keep on being filled. You got to believe him 
when what he says seems unbelievable, which again requires a work of his spirit. I plead with you this morning to be as open as you know how to be. Over the last several weeks as I come back to the Lord, and there's no doubt that in my mind that the Holy Spirit has indwelt me and I've prayed often for his filling. I've prayed for his baptism. I've experienced him do things in my life I cannot explain. I don't know that. But over the last few weeks, he's just been stirring and speaking and saying, Troy, you're still holding on to stuff. There are places you're just holding on to. You don't trust me. You don't believe me. Will you surrender? And sometimes, I'll have to be honest with you, sometimes in those areas I'm beginning to discover I'm not sure I want him to be in control. I would rather be in control. I don't want him to be. And I think this is our problem more often than not. So today, when we say, Holy Spirit, rain down. Holy Spirit, move. We mean it because we need it. You say, Troy, I'm not a preacher or I'm not an evangelist or I'm not, I can't do it. You don't have to be me. You're not supposed to be me, but you are supposed to be you clothed in power. That's who you're supposed to be. Lord Jesus, help us today. I'm going to ask you to do something as we close today, a little different. I'm not asking you if the Spirit is in you today. If you're a believer, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. You couldn't be saved otherwise. So that's not my question to you this morning. My question to you is, if you honestly look at your life and let him speak to you, does his power, his power displayed, is that evident? Is it evident to you? Is it evident to others? Again, not perfection, power. Is it there? Are there areas where you say, no, it's not there? Yeah, maybe over here, but there's still some areas in my life where his power is not on display.
And right now, please don't think about anybody else. That's our tendency. It's like, oh, I hope they hear this because they really need his power here on display. Don't think about anybody else. That is such a tactic of the enemy to get us distracted. It's just about you right now. It's just you and the Holy Spirit. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. If he works in me, it doesn't matter what anybody else does or doesn't do. He can change me whether they change or not. If he's moving, speaking in your heart, she's just telling him, Holy Spirit, I receive. I receive by faith. Fill me. Baptize me. Anoint me. Overflow. Pour out, rain down. I mean, there's so many terms that are used in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit. Ask him to move. And in that place where you really don't want him to have control, give him control anyway by faith. Give him control. Say, Lord, I give it to you by faith. You know I don't really want you to be in control of that, but I give, I swear, I give it to you by faith. Holy Spirit, rain down. Lord, do miracles among us. Give us courage. Give us endurance. Give us joy in the, fla- in the face of trial. Cause us to embrace suffering and affliction for your sake, for the gospel's sake. Lord, make us people who aren't consumed with our own comfort by the power of your spirit. Lord, not that we're going to go out and try to make ourselves uncomfortable. That's just another work of the flesh. No, by the power of your spirit, make us a people who are not consumed with our own stuff. By the power of your spirit, Lord, change my heart. Deal with jealousies in my heart. As we talked about in prayer this morning, deal with covetousness, where I just desire and long for everything but you. Or I can have you as long as I have everything else too. (coughs) Holy Spirit, make me a witness. Make us witnesses. Just to declare who you are. I don't have to be an evangelist. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to be anybody else. Just me. Empowered by you. To be a witness. To tell others of who you are. I want you to stand with me. We're going to stop here in a moment. The clock always catches up with us here on earth. One day it won't, but it does here. 
But whatever the Holy Spirit's doing, you doesn't have to stop. As a matter of fact, I would urge you to not stop, to have some time, even today, where you just sit with the Lord, let Him speak to you, and you surrender. Say, okay, Lord, I'll give you that. Where, if there's fear, maybe you have fear. I'll tell you one of the things that the enemy attacks me with when I, as I go deeper in this. I sometimes get afraid and think, well, don't I need to be cautious of the enemy and how he would counterfeit things? And, and there needs to be a trying of spirits. The scripture tells us in 1 John that we're to try every spirit, whether it be of God or not. So yes, there is a wisdom in that. But you know what the Lord spoke to me when I was struggling a little bit being fearful? He spoke Luke eleven thirteen. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you if you ask? He won't give me a snake or a scorpion because he's a good God. He doesn't do that. So yes, there is wisdom to not believe every spirit, but do not let the enemy confuse you into thinking that if you go to your father with your heart open and say, I want I want to be endued with power. I want to be clothed in power. I want to be filled. I want to walk in what you said was mine. He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not going to give you a scorpion. He just won't. Lord, help us deal with our fears. And then, Lord, help us deal with our will, where we're just trying to do it our own way. Move by your spirit. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. We always have prayer partners here. If we can pray with you about anything, we're here to do that. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing and the power of your spirit on everyone here and the move of your spirit and the outpouring of your spirit. And I receive it for myself in Jesus' name. Amen.